Thank you for listening to the Skift podcast. Today's episode features a session from the recent Skift Global Forum, which took place in New York City in September of 2022. To learn more or join us at the next Skift event, visit live.skift.com. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome the President and Chief Operating Officer of JetBlue, Joanna Garrity, in discussion with Skift Airline Weekly Editor, Edward Russell. All right. There we go. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm Edward Russell, the editor of Airline Weekly, Skift's daily airline news site and uh, in-depth analysis uh, every week. I'm joined today by Joanna Garrity, President and Chief Operating Officer of JetBlue since 2018. Joanna, welcome. Thank you. Excellent. So this panel, uh, we're talking about JetBlue balancing growth and other opportunities. And I wanted to start out with a little bit of growth. JetBlue launches new service between Boston and London Heathrow today, which is pretty exciting. It's been a long time coming. Tell us a little bit about that. How's it going? Yeah, it's great. So we launched service to London last year around this time um, from JFK. So we operate one daily JFK Heathrow, one daily JFK Gatwick. We launched Boston Gatwick earlier this summer, and today we launched Boston Heathrow, which obviously with the Queen's passing, it's a much more muted uh, celebration, but very excited about our entry into um, into London, our, you know, flying across the pond. So far, it has been fantastic. Um, the Product is amazing, 24 seats of mint configured, um, uh, mint configured seats, um, great food. We have Dig In, if you're from New York, you know Dig a little bit, it's a pretty cool restaurant. And the core product, I actually think Core, our back of the cabin is gonna disrupt quite a bit as well. And we've won a number of awards, so really, really excited. We have a wonderful in-flight team that delivers that service. And so far, load factors have been through the roof, and I'd say it's pretty tough to get a mint seat um, flying across the pond, yeah. And so we look forward to continuing to add an additional Gatwick frequency later this year, and then, who knows what's next for further European expansion? Well, that's what I, I know want. what's next, but other <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I would love it. I mean, if you'd like to give us any hints, you know, are we going, are we thinking continental here? Or no? Maybe continental <laughs> Europe. So, okay, yeah. okay. But Joanna, you know, JetBlue's international expansion, transatlantic expansion has been coming for a few years. It's been a project. Now, I know for you, you've had, or saying in a uh, Syracuse University commencement address a couple years ago that you're interested in all things international. How did that play into JetBlue side going across the pond, going, going to Europe? I mean, that sounds like that's sort of a passion of yours. Sure, yeah, I mean, I have a master's in international relations and I went to law school in Syracuse and when I graduated, I thought it'd be very fun to work for a global company. And so as you think about JetBlue, actually 30% of our flights are international already, just to the Caribbean. Um, and having spent a year in London myself, that was very high on the list. I'll say our CEO was also British, so I think it was a passion point of his to uh, be able to fly himself over there as well. So, but London's the perfect opportunity for JetBlue. When you look at um, before we flew there, the number of markets that JetBlue didn't serve London was at the top of the list, both out of Boston and out of JFK. So it, it makes for the perfect, uh, perfect match to our network. Definitely, and I have to say, the advertising that you guys have done with JetBlue and Big Ben and all of that, like, it's, it's gorgeous, it's really on point. Yeah, it's stuff. very fun, yeah, thank you. So, speaking of growth, that's, uh, international is only one part of JetBlue's growth story. Another big part is uh, JetBlue has a deal to buy Spirit Airlines for $3.8 billion, which is pretty big. 
It'll make JetBlue the fifth largest US airline if it goes through. So can you tell us a little bit about you know, what's the rationale behind acquiring Spirit? Yeah, we're very excited. It's been, for those who've watched it in the news, it's been quite the journey. Um, it's probably, well, it is one of the very few um, takeovers that's been a bit more um, challenging um, over the years. Obviously, stepping into a, an environment with the Department of Justice that we fully recognize may take a bit longer than, um, than in prior transactions. We very much believe that the Spirit-JetBlue combination will um, allow us to be a national challenger to the other legacy carriers. If you think about the current environment that we live in today, um, Delta, American, Southwest, and United represent about 80% of the domestic seats in the United States. And that leaves very few seats for others to, um, to try to grow with. And frankly, organic growth um, takes a long time. And uh, for JetBlue, we really want to accelerate our organic growth strategy we want to build our fleet. Um, we want more crew members, more people. Um, we love the fact that they have a footprint in Florida. We intend to sort of be both in New York and in Florida. Um, and then we like the customers that they have and how we evolve the JetBlue brand. We'll be configuring spirit to the JetBlue brand and the experience that you know and love when you fly JetBlue. But we also intend to offer um, and continue to offer great low fares, um, which is really part of, I think, what's made JetBlue so special. Um, it's very challenging in an environment where you are um, dominated by four legacy carriers to affect competitive change. And JetBlue has done that since our inception, and we want to do more of that. We want to bring more low fares, a great product, a great service. You shouldn't have to choose between both. You can have a great product and a low fare, and that's what we're going to do with Spirit. Excellent. Well, it's, it's funny you talk about challenging because this is the first real airline bidding war that I've ever <laughs> gotten the chance to follow. I wrote about uh, the American U.S. Airways merger back in 2013, and that was um, almost dull comparatively how this went down. But um, excellent. So you mentioned the brand. I mean, that's one thing. Skift is big about branding. And I have to ask, you know, Spirit is an airline that a lot of people love to hate. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not have the best brand. How, how do you buy an airline like Spirit without diluting the JetBlue brand, which is... Yeah, upper more better. It's better. Frankly. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, with any transaction, it's going to take some time to take Spirit and bring it into the JetBlue, um, the JetBlue experience, the JetBlue brand, the JetBlue product. So there'll be an evolution over a few years. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Spirit has some great team members, and Spirit does what Spirit does very well. They know who they are, and they lean into that. You know, we intend to take sort of that. Um, that excitement that they have and evolve it to the JetBlue brand. We have a basic economy product that we think will play well for that more price sensitive customer. And then we also have our even more space product and our mint product that we think, you know, a lot of spirit customers, if they were given the opportunity, would look to sort of upgrade to those um, parts of the cabin. And so at the end of the day, it becomes JetBlue, the product offering, the brand, um, but we intend to continue to do what we do best, which is disrupt the industry. If you think about 1999, 2000, when JetBlue was founded, you know, there were no TVs on planes. Leather seats were something that people had never thought to put into an economy class product. We've disrupted for years our mint product. Before we launched mint to the West Coast, there were very few live flat seats. Now you stumble over live flat seats to the West Coast. And so we're going to continue to do that. We're going to disrupt, but we do think you can balance low fares and great service. It's going to take a little time to get there, um, but I am so excited. And you know, we've met a number of wonderful Spirit team members and look forward to bringing them into, uh, into the JetBlue family. And we know they're excited as well, particularly their frontline. Excellent, excellent. I mean, that's it's good to hear. And, and you're right, it will take some time. Every, every airline merger does, yeah. but uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I love how you talk about the excitement and the screens. I flew on JetBlue first time in 2001, I believe, uh, with the screens. And I, I, 
was really excited because I don't know if you guys remember, like it was big, no drop down in the front of the cabin. I could decide what I watched, yep. but yeah. now I've got a kid who similarly very much likes the screens <laughs> and, and playing with them and stuff. Yeah. Right. So of course, one big question with the merger is going to be antitrust approval. Um, I, I have to ask, uh, there's the Northeast Alliance with American and then there's the merger. What, what happens if the Department of Justice says one or the other? What do you guys do? Yeah, we think you can do both. Um, the Northeast Alliance, which is our partnership with American Airlines, um, we've introduced 50 more destinations. We're currently flying over 257 routes out of New York. We are growing New York. We are growing Boston. We are trying to become a really viable competitor jointly with American against the Deltas and the Uniteds in the Northeast. And that is completely separate from the spirit transaction, which really involves the rest of the country. Um, if you live in, in New York, you recognize it's quite congested. There's lots of ATC delays. Um, it's a challenging operating environment. And we are really looking forward with Spirit to kind of expand our footprint, um, provide a better operation for our customers, provide more choices, a deeper network across much of the country that we don't currently serve. One of the top questions we get asked is, you know, what about the Midwest? Why doesn't JetBlue fly there in a meaningful way? You know, what about some of these states? We just fly right over them. Spirit's going to allow us to fly to many of those locations, which I think is exciting. And then American allows us to continue to really um, make sure that we are, um, we have a solid presence in the Northeast and we continue to be a strong competitor to the other legacy carriers there. So we view them as entirely complementary. We clearly like spending time with the DOJ because we have a <laughs> DOJ trial with Spirit, uh, sorry, with uh, American next week. And then we've got um, our process with the DOJ that will follow with our Spirit transaction. But we're confident once the Department of Justice understands how these two work together and how the environment that we live in right now, where you have 80% of the market consists of four large carriers, JetBlue just wants to compete. We wanna bring more low fares, more great product, more great service to the United States. And sometimes you gotta do that in an organic way when the playing field is set up the way it is. Uh, I think you might be the only one who says you're enjoying spending time with the Department of Justice, <laughs> but more power to you. Um, it's, it's funny you talk about the network benefits because I know in, I'm, I'm based in Washington, D.C., and JetBlue serves DCA quite you know, well to Boston, to Florida, but you don't go many other places. But you bring Spirit in, which has a large operation of Baltimore, Washington. You, you've become a much more relevant player in my market, and it's, yep. it's exciting. That, yeah, it is. Yeah. We want to be a challenger brand. We want to be a national challenger brand, yeah. and we believe the way to do that is by acquiring Spirit and complementing that with the Northeast Alliance. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Uh, you mentioned briefly the, the DOJ's lawsuit that goes to trial next week. Um, any, any outlook for that? You know, give us your strategy, if you can. Yeah, I'm going to bring you behind the tent and <laughs> tell you what we're doing. Um, so, uh, so we're confident that we will prevail. Um, you know, again, this is about the JetBlue effect. It's about bringing more low fares, a great product and service. If you look at everything that we've done since our inception, whether it's introducing ourselves into congested um, and, uh, and legacy-dominated hubs, whether it's introducing Mint, um, whether it's really bringing a great service to economy-class customers, you know, we want to continue to disrupt. Um, we're confident that we're going to convince the DOJ that the JetBlue effect will continue, um, and it is. If you look at the Northeast Alliance, Delta has doubled down in Boston. United has added a lot of capacity into Newark, and that's all in response to what JetBlue and American are doing in the Northeast. And if that's not a competitive response from the legacy carriers that will drive competition and drive fares in a positive way, I don't know what is. And speaking of Delta, I thought this was very interesting. I saw that um, you guys, or, or Ameri you, you and American have 
uh, called on Delta executives to testify at the trial next week. So let's say, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, the environment, as I mentioned, is you've got four dominant carriers. And so in order for a carrier like JetBlue to grow, you know, we need to be given that same sort of ability that American, that United, Southwest, and others have been, have been given. And then I'll also point out, you do have a lot of other carriers out there. They're smaller that this will allow them to accelerate their growth, whether it's Breeze, Avello, Frontier, obviously, um, will continue to grow. They have one of the largest order books out there. You know, part of what we've indicated we'd be willing to do in Spirit um, is that we would divest some of our slots, um, the, the Spirit slots that we would get in New York, um, as well as some other parts of the country, and that would provide an opportunity for those, um, those carriers to grow um, as, we, uh, as we look to acquire Spirit. Excellent. I mean, it'll be, in, uh, as a reporter, I'm going to look very looking forward to watching all yep. this play out. Interesting. So, yep. Definitely. So we've got a fun um, poll question here. You know, what uh, do you think is the most critical issue facing domestic airlines in the year ahead? And our audience says staffing. Um, what do you think about that? Is staffing the the top uh, your top concern in the in the year ahead? Yeah, I, it, staffing is definitely challenging. It, I'm pleased that a lot of it is stabilized. So as we entered this year, um, staffing was most certainly the number one item that we were all trying to navigate. Um, and I think a lot of the capacity changes that you saw both from April sort of into the summer were largely a result of pilots. So training, there's a whole training throughput process for pilots, and if any part is a little bit off, you see elongation of pilots being able to go from hiring into service. Um, obviously, our ground staff, whether it's our baggage handlers or our airport operations team above the wing, um, that's challenging. But we've stabilized much of that. So all of those core processes, whether it's the recruiters, background checks, training, that's all working very well. So we feel in a much, much better way. I do think we have some acute challenges in the Northeast Boston, it's a smaller talent market. So if you look at some of the challenges on the ramp in Boston, that's um, something we're watching closely. Um, I'd say on the staffing front, um, wage rates are also um, quite concerning. I mean, everything is sort of getting more expensive. And so um, we wanna make sure our crew members feel engaged to work at JetBlue and are appropriately paid. Um, so staffing is, is definitely a challenge, but stabilizing. Huh. I mean, that's good to hear. I've written a lot about uh, the pilot shortage mm -hmm. that some airlines are facing here in the U.S. And I mean, talking about wage rates, we've got regional airlines that traditionally are lower paid yes. now earning uh, their entry level wages are now equal to or even excessive some airlines right. like yourselves, yeah. which is I, I know it's, it's trained labor and pilots should be uh, you know paid, but that's got to do some pressure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the good news or bad news, depending on how you look at it, is yeah. every airline is seeing these same pressures. So JetBlue is not an outlier. Um, you know, we're at a point in time where almost every collective bargaining agreement that a flight operations or pilot group has at an airline is open for negotiation right now. And you've seen the news, you know, United, American, others. I think UPS may be the only one that has been ratified recently. So everybody's currently in negotiations with their pilots. Um, and the pilots are in, you know, a pretty strong position given... Um, some of the um, the labor shortages with pilots, but you know, it's it's all see you know all all carriers are experiencing the yeah. same issues from a cost uh, perspective there. Yeah, absolutely, I can yeah. attest to that. It's it's yeah. across the board stuff. Yeah. So, 
Earlier this summer, you guys had, uh, JetBlue had some operational issues. That was, uh, you know, partially staffing played a role in that, other things as well. And uh, you guys pulled back a bit on your schedule. How are things going? Have, uh, has the recovery, have, have you achieved uh, met, met your goals? Or? Yeah, much, much better. So um, in April, we first saw some pretty acute operational issues, largely coming out of Florida, um, tied to air traffic control delays in the Jacksonville Center. Um, when we saw that we pulled capacity a bit more than we had planned to, we were taking it down for, sort of from the President's Day week, we started seeing some challenges there. Um, the infrastructure is far more fragile than it was pre-COVID. Um, air traffic control shortage was a problem pre-COVID. It's even worse now. Um, so we started seeing these things play out and made a decision in April to pull a pretty, pretty, pretty good amount of capacity, about 10 points into the summer timeframe. Interestingly, other carriers all saw it a month or two later than JetBlue. So we just happened to see it first because we are um, quite uh, strong in Florida. We have a, a lot of flights down there. Things are much better. Our completion factor is back up to um, generally around pre, uh, pre-COVID levels, and the operation is most certainly stabilized. That said, um, as we move forward, we are planning for a more fragile infrastructure. We are not going to be flying at the level we'd like to. Um, right. We'd love to fly a bit, a bit more, but we know we need to ensure operational reliability. We also are in one of the toughest airspaces in the country. 80% of JetBlue's flights touch congested airspace compared to United, which is you know, 60, 70%, Delta is 20%. So we just have a very challenging environment that we operate in. And so we must make sure that we're providing a better level of resilience, whether that's more pilots in reserve, whether that's flying a little bit less, whether that's staffing up in some of our airports. Um, and you know, there's a lot of focus on airline reliability right now. And so we need to make sure that we're doing our part um, to uh, make sure our customers get to where they wanna go. Definitely, definitely, and I got the uh, I got to enjoy JetBlue last week actually, and, and have to say, opera, in and out of Florida, operations were smooth, not no delays at all. Good. So wonderful, definitely improved. But so as we look into the fall, you know that's less capacity, demand is still high, and we know supply demand equations. That means fares are also going to be high. I mean, how is that continuing? That's the trend we saw this summer. Is that continuing into the fall? Or? Yeah, I think you'll see fares ease up. Um, we are seeing some really great leisure strength into the fall. The fall tends to be a bit of a trough period for JetBlue, and I'm pleased to report that we aren't seeing that. We're seeing that leisure strength from the summer carry into the fall. We're also seeing some strength over the last two weeks in the business customer, which is great. I think you probably see it around New York City. I've been out to breakfast and dinner a few times in the last two weeks, and there's not an empty seat in restaurants around New York City, which is great for our 16 a day between Boston and LaGuardia if you'd like to go. Um, so, uh, but, but at the end of the day, you know, we are, we are pleased with the leisure strength that's coming into the fall, and we hope that continues. I think with the summer, because most airlines had to pull capacity back, there just wasn't enough flights out there. And so some of that uh, pent-up demand is bleeding into the fall time frame, and we hope that continues. Excellent. And I mean, I know business travel is, is so important, JetBlue, all airlines. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that I'm you know, September and I'm on the road every week suddenly. And this is the first time I've, I've been able to, to do this in a long time. So that's... You love that's, it, right? And you want to... I, I, I do week. love that. I do. I, I miss my kid when I'm on the road, you know, but I do love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, I mean, good for you guys. And hopefully I'm, I'm not Fingers alone. Fingers crossed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. So we, we've got, uh, going back to international, we've got an interesting... Uh, Afri- uh, sorry audience question here about going strong to Mexico. Now, I know that's a destination. JetBlue served Mexico City for a little while, pre-pandemic. Uh, you know, tell us a little more about Mexico's strategy. Yeah, so we fly to Cancun right now, um, along with um, some of the uh, 
the uh, leisure destinations on the West Coast. So at this point, we probably won't be going back to Mexico City. Mm -hmm. We did operate there. We pulled out of Mexico City. Mexico is a great, um, a great, particularly on the leisure side, a great destination for um, for JetBlue. We actually during COVID were flying Raleigh, Cancun, um, which was great. Um, we still we're still doing that. So Mexico will continue to grow. That we do extremely well in sort of the mix of leisure and VFR markets. Um, VFR visiting friends and relatives is an incredibly resilient. Um, customer demographic, it continued to be really resilient during COVID. So to the extent that we can, um, we can grow there, we'll continue to grow uh, in Mexico. Right now, our plate's a bit full right. um, with the Northeast Alliance out of the, out of the uh, New York and Boston area, and then obviously with the Spirit, um, Spirit acquisition. But with Spirit, we'll be able to go to more than 125 destinations. And, so, and that has quite a bit of Mexico in it, which is exciting. I know when we talked about Spirit, we talked about the domestic market, but Spirit will really expand JetBlue's presence in Latin America, near Latin America. Yes, I, it's, it's Yep, they serve a number of destinations we don't presently serve in Latin America. There are destinations we've wanted to serve, but because we haven't had aircraft to do that, we've had to sort of prioritize. And so, yeah, so it, it will absolutely accelerate our organic growth plan and bring, as I mentioned, more JetBlue flights to the traveling public. Excellent, excellent. So we just got a few minutes left. I want to talk on I like the Africa one, though. It was Africa. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. tell me, well, is JetBlue <laughs> planning Africa next? <laughs> it would be hard <laughs> for our planes to make it there. There's some points in Africa that the XLR, when we get that, um, could probably make it to uh, certain parts of Western Africa, but um, it's not on the it's not on the radar right now. Not, not high. I'd love list. to see it happen someday. <laughs> All right. There you have it. Someday. Definitely. Um, in our last few minutes, let's talk quickly about sustainability. That's been a big push for the, the industry. Uh, there's an industry-wide goal of net zero carbon emissions by 2050. What's JetBlue doing to hit, the, hit that? Yeah, so our goal is net zero by 2040. So we're trying to beat sort of the industry commitment. Um, a few things, obviously carbon offsets are a piece of it, but we are moving to more science-based science measures as we think about how, how you evolve. Um, SAF is also an incredibly important part of our future. Sorry, um, I should say that sorry, sustainable, sustainable aviation, aviation fuel. fuel. Sorry, sustainable <laughs> aviation fuel, incredibly important part of our future. Um, right now, there's a pretty significant cost gap between JetA and SAF. Um, and so we actually have a program, which I think is quite creative with our corporate clients, um, so that they can um, uh, address some of their scope three emissions where you can buy SAF certificates from JetBlue. And that helps bridge the cost of SAF um, from uh, JetA to, to the, that incremental cost, enabling us to buy even more SAF, which I think is a pretty creative um, pretty creative approach. But you know, we've led, frankly, the industry in our sustainability efforts. Um, we've invested in hydrogen, hydrogen technology, eVTOL. We continue to look for um, new ways to um, offset the carbon footprint. Some of those technologies are a bit farther off. The solve is really going to be a mixture of carbon offsets and SAF. We do need help, though, from states and the federal government to really start to help um, encourage um, further SAF supply because right now it is supply constrained. Are you happy with the incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act? That we are uh, very happy with that, yes. Yeah. And we would like to see that continue and we'd like to see that expand. Right, right. Yeah. If anyone, uh, Inflation Reduction Act uh, that President Biden signed, it has uh, incentives for sustainable aviation fuel through about 2027, I think. Yep. So it's a start. Um, it's a start. Yeah. We need more of it. Yeah. Definitely. You, you mentioned EV tolls, which are essentially electric air taxis. Will we see those in JetBlue colors anytime soon? Um, anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> by the end of the decade. By the end of the um, decade. Possibly. So we're, we're a partner with Joby. We're an investor in Joby, which makes EV tolls. They're currently um, 
They currently have a prototype working through FAA certification. I'm hopeful that we will um, we will see it, but some of these technologies, they're, they're a little ways away. So, but VTOL is a bit closer than others. Yeah, yeah. excellent. So we'll be focusing on sustainable aviation fuel in the meantime. Yes, that's the anyway, thing. Joanna, thank you so much you. for joining us. Great. It's, it's a pleasure and uh, thank you for our audience. And, Great, thank you. Thanks for flying JetBlue. <laughs>